400 years, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They came down to Egypt to get grain because of a famine all over the world. And that was at the time Joseph was second in command of Egypt, although they didn't know that when they came down to buy corn. But the time was appointed by God. Do you not understand? Time is appointed by God. He appoints the exact places that we will live and the exact time we will live there. I'm quoting from Acts chapter 17, verse 26, New International Version of the Bible, the first publication of the NIV. If you know scripture, you know God is in control. When you read Old Testament examples, they show you how strongly God has set it all forth. He selected the ones who will lead. He selected his people. He's going to take care of them and provide for them as long as he leaves them on the earth. Well, they've been in Egypt 400 years. The time is now coming for deliverance. And God is going to use Moses to lead them. Though Moses is hearing from God, so it's not Moses, it's God. After 400 years of bondage in Egypt, the time comes for deliverance. And it gets really bad before the deliverance. And that's the way it is in life, in our time. I just don't see this thing of not recognizing we're not so different, not much at all than the children of Israel in Egypt, except, of course, for Jesus. Let's read Exodus 1. All of this is so exciting because it shows us the hand of God, the working of God, and exactly how God causes everything to come to pass. And it's the same in our life. God is in control. If you belong to God, if you are one of the elect of God, He's watching over you. He's got it worked out. You just have to go through the door. Exodus 1, verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Four hundred years had passed, so the new Pharaoh didn't know Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, The people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. This is Egypt, and they're more than we are. Let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. They were slaves. The children of Israel had turned into slaves after the time of Joseph. And they built for Pharaoh treasured cities. 
But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they, the Egyptians, were grieved because of the children of Israel. Verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Pharaoh told the Hebrew midwives to slay the male children, but to save the female children alive. And Pharaoh charged all of his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Now when the people of Israel were out in the wilderness, they forgot this. And they bitterly complained about Moses. You've made our life so hard. All we have to eat is this manna. How do you think God felt when he had provided manna for them in the wilderness and they complained that all they had to eat was this manna? They wanted the stuff from Egypt, the garlics, the leeks, the spices. Well, Moses was born during the time when Pharaoh ordered that the male children be killed at birth. Exodus chapter 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi. Levi are the priests of the Hebrews in the Old Testament. And took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months, because he would have been killed had she not hid him. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river brink. And his sister stood afar off to witness to what would be done to him. By no coincidence, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to wash herself in the river, just at the time he is put in the river. And her maidens walk along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, three-month-old baby. And behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said Moses' sister, who's standing nearby to watch this situation, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? This is going to be Moses' mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. 
And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman, who was the child's real mother, took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, Moses did. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. At one point in the New Testament, Jesus is asleep in the ship, and the winds and the waves are tossing the ship around, and they go to Jesus and said, Wake up, Master, wake up. Don't you care if we perish? Jesus says, Where's your faith? Do you know God? Do you really know God? Have you had experience with God? Have you seen him work miracles during your lifetime? Miracles of healing cancer, miracles of delivering you from trials and tribulations? Haven't you seen that? Where's your faith? How can we be so concerned today? The reason for reading these Old Testament scriptures is it warns us, gives us an admonition. Don't we know God is really in charge of that which happens down here and happens to his elect? Jesus said, Luke chapter 8, verse 25, Where is your faith? Thank you for allowing me to speak with you today. Today we're going to play for you in music the fourth movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. I want to talk to you just a minute because I do have a story about that. In 1980, when I first went on radio, Michael Ellison Advertising Agency represented me for about four months in helping me to get spots on radio broadcast all over the United States. They came to me one day, because I started the broadcast on radio by just saying, Hello, this is Dr. Joan Boney speaking. And I went right into the message. They came to me one day and said, Have you ever thought of having music before you start speaking? And I said, Yes, yes, I thought about that. And what I decided, if I did that, that I would want to do is the beginning of Beethoven's fourth movement of his fifth symphony. They were just shocked and horrified at this idea. The representative said to me, Joan, these people in the radio audience have about a fourth grade education. Well, that was just not true. And if it had been true, so what? A person with a fourth grade education could enjoy music just as much as a college graduate. But anyway, I said, well, I do have one problem. It is so magnificent, 
I don't know that I could talk after playing that. When you hear it right now, it starts off, it's just almost you can't hear any sound. It's a timpani playing, and it's just real, real low level in sound. And then it bursts completely open very shortly after the beginning. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, Fourth Movement. 